Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is the 9th of June. It is a Wednesday morning, and I am Peter Kapsner filling in again today for Carmen LeBurge, as I have been doing this week and into next week. Had some fun text conversations with Carmen last night. Sounds like she's doing great. Paul Perot at her getaway. She is in California, I believe, right now, right? This is yeah. a, a good extended vacation for her to be away and kind of get it. You know, we all need it, right, from time to time to just as much as she enjoys her job. And I know how much she loves this morning show. It's also nice to get a little refresh and reboot. We all need it regardless of what we're doing in life. But still... A fitness camp. A fitness camp. Again, leave it to Carmen. Like my vacation. To make a, ca- yes. a vacation a workout. Come I mean, on. a vacation <laughs> needs to have beach and sun and sand or some exciting hiking adventure or something. Cream. Yeah, no. I to, to be fit, I, I mean, again, mad respect for Carmen. It was good to hear from her <laughs> last night. She really is uh, having a good time. So good to be with all of you listening this morning as well. We love to hear from you throughout the morning. We have a lot of great guests coming up in this show. And so if you want to text in at 877 933 Three two four eight four. At any point this morning, we're certainly going to be covering a lot of ground. And up first this morning, Paul, we're going to talk with one of our favorites here, Daryl Crouch, mm-hmm. who has written a blog about discipleship. Something that I think is is terribly needed to continue to wonder about discipleship. Just given some of the conversations we've had the last couple of days with people uh, like David French and Warren Cole Smith, just about the reformation of the church moving forward. So I, I have, in preparation for this. A Hebrew word for you this morning for all of our listeners. It's a little aggressive to bring okay. out the Hebrew at this hour me, of the let day. Let me put on the seatbelt. Yeah, no, this might a little, blow us out of the water. This isn't here. that hard though. This one's not this hard. So, the, is this the one of those things you have to pull down the thing like you're on a roller coaster that the armature that. Yeah, 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 you do. Okay. But, but but raise your arms in the in the air because the ride is still oh, exciting okay, nonetheless. Okay. okay, so arms up. So the Hebrew word for all of us this morning listening is the word Talmud, and Talmudim is a derivative of that. And what I mean by that, Talmud and Talmudim. This is just simply the Hebrew word for disciple. Mm -hmm. And so a disciple is a Talmud. A group of disciples are the Talmudim. So I was thinking about us this morning, you, me, all of our listeners, Daryl coming up in just a moment. We are the Talmudim. And and I can't think of anything more important moving forward for sort of the restoration of who we are as the beautiful bride in our country, in our world, than the restoration of the Talmudim to teach people how to authentically and actually become like Jesus. Again, we were talking about, you and I beforehand, the idea, okay, we, we can structure things, we can get the institutions of the church right, but it's the people the are not organically connected to each other and to God, then... What are we doing? <laughs> well, it, we have the structure, yeah. just not the essence. Well, and it was you, you brought up the show The Chosen, which I'm yeah. skeptical of just about anything that comes you know out through media like that. It seems like we've done some really bad Christian media over the years, not right? This. It's wonderful. But I, it is it is absolutely fabulous. Don't be a spoiler for me. I mean, I know how the story ends, right? But don't be a spoiler because I'm only on episode five with my family right now. But I think what I really appreciate about being brought into that early Mediterranean world and and 
the skill with which they're doing that for mm-hmm. us as viewers, you really get a sense of these Talmudim, right? I mean, and they were disasters, as the scripture <laughs> talks about, right? I mean, some of my favorite stories in, in, full, sc- in full visual effect. And they, yeah, are. disasters. It, it's uh, one of my favorite stories is from Matthew 10 when Jesus is like, all right, you've been hanging out with me for a while. You see the things that I do. You see the things that I say. You see the character, wisdom, power that I have. Why don't you head into the villages and give it a shot, right? I mean, being Christ-like. <laughs> and they go into the village and they got nothing. They got out because they're early Talmudim. They, mm-hmm. they just haven't grown in that Christ-likeness as much uh, yet at that time. So they come back and they're like, Jesus, no idea. How do, how do you do this stuff? And I just think that's such a beautiful invitation because I think there's so much pressure right, to be the right kind of Talmudim. But at the end of the day, we, we need to be growing in our Christ-likeness. And Daryl's going to give us some great tips this morning as we get the show kicked off with his blog about discipleship. So if you're listening this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, you are also part of the Talmudim. And we'll invite Daryl Crouch to talk more about that next here on Mornings Without Carmen. Welcome, uh, welcoming Daryl Crouch into the show this morning. Green Hill Church, regular contributor to the program, uh, talks about different aspects of life in God's kingdom. Good morning, Daryl. Great to be with you, Peter. Yeah, love Always it. good. So, so is that a little aggressive to break out some Hebrew this morning? I know you and I were talking before the show, and, and uh, we had to kind of buckle up and get into some of the original language there. But the Talmud, Talmudim, have you sort of heard of this concept yeah. of discipleship from the Hebrew? I have, but it's been a while and never at six o'clock in the morning. So as we mentioned, that's a little aggressive, but you knew that. And so uh, but you're challenging us. So I appreciate you stepping into it, man. I love it. Well, I love this blog that you wrote and you talked a little bit about some of the characteristics of discipleship or the Talmudim and how we can start walking in these things. I, Daryl, one of the things I think we're really in a, in a place of reckoning as a church right now in this season in 2021 is this idea uh, of hypocrisy, just simply meaning that what sometimes gets presented to the outside world as this cleaned up shiny image when you when you sort of pull back the veil or, or pull back the curtain we're starting to see other things that are going on institutionally people of character so i appreciate the work you're doing in this blog about how uh we don't need to sort of subcontract out our discipleship we can really grow in our discipleship moving forward so kind of take us through a little bit your thinking on this article yeah, well, a lot of the structural uh, and systemic issues that we're facing and a lot of the cultural wars that we're, we're by, uh, fighting, I think, uh, have have come because we, we really failed in uh, biblical discipleship yesterday. So we're fighting battles today because we didn't do some work yesterday. And so I think we have a generation and and maybe more than that, that we've really never understood the Talmudine, the, the, act that, the fact that we're a part of this process. And so we've attended church, but we've really not been the church. And so we've uh, farmed out, as you say, uh, a lot of what uh, Jesus has called us to do in making disciples. And some of that uh, is, again, institutional, the way that we've approached local church ministry and, and really emphasizing attendance and and um, which we ne- we should emphasize attendance. By the way, it should be a part of our rhythms to to be a part of a community of faith that way. But but when we um, when the when the scorecard or when the metrics are simply how many people are coming this week and not how many people are engaged in the mission of God throughout the week and and how we're applying the the truth of God's word and the power of the gospel and the presence of Jesus in our lives in our own families and 
and our own, uh, as you mentioned, organic relationships, then then there's no formative um, activity happening in the hearts and lives of our kids and of our neighbors and so on and our coworkers. And so I think sometimes we've we've felt that discipleship is is really uh, a secondary or or even um, something after that a priority for the Christian and we'll 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 pay our tithes we'll we'll pray we'll support we'll post things on Facebook or or uh, Twitter or social media platforms but but we're in terms of engaging people in a personal way on a regular basis we we've really not um, provided space for that as as much as uh, we would have been helpful and so now we're trying to fight things that are deeply ingrained in people because we were we were absent um, in the in the formation of their of their own biblical worldview. Yeah, Daryl, I think you hit on a number of key points, any one of which we could follow up on. But you mentioned this idea uh, of just even how we approach the institution that has been the church, and and how we, uh, I would suggest, how we even approach equipping leaders and shepherds to be leaders and shepherds in the church. You're kind of taking me into life in seminary these days, mm-hmm. where when I think about, we often identify these young, talented charismatic kinds of men and women who clearly have certain kinds of gifts associated with them. But when I think about often the three or four year education they might get in a seminary experience, including the classes that I have taught over the years, a lot of times they focus on, so here's how you give a good 30 minute sermon that'll be interesting to people, or here's how you lead a staff, or here's some of the HR concerns you're going to need to think about. And sometimes, Daryl, I wonder, are we just simply training some of our shepherds to just be the equivalent of a CEO of an organization as opposed to teaching them how to walk in increasing Christ-likeness themselves so that they can help other people along the way? Yeah, that's huge. And and again, being a pastor and leading a church, it's hard, and Christian education and seminary uh, training is hard, and the breadth and scope of the work is significant. And so there's um, and some of that we've we've created unnecessarily, but but generally speaking, soul care and and leading a church is tough. So uh, none of us have kind of got our arms around it uh, as much as we would like to think. But absolutely, I think we've um, we have um, made a church leadership a little bit more um, organizationally oriented than theologically rooted, and um, and what. What we do in our own uh, personal lives, in in our uh, walk with Christ, really is the foundation of our ministry. Everything should flow out of that, but um, we we don't always necessarily reward leaders for that, and uh, we don't acknowledge that. We don't. That's not the metrics that we use to measure success. And so, I think our um, I do think there's been some some good uh, progress. Uh, COVID has forced some things in us to, uh, to, to reevaluate some things in us and how we go about ministry and how important personal relationships are and how um, maybe not as important some of the metrics that we were relying on are. So I do think the church is having a new conversation around all that, and church leaders uh, are acknowledging that. I think pastors and seminary uh, professors and so on, uh, organ- uh, institutional leaders are are reevaluating some of that because we've been forced to think more in human terms. I know that sounds crazy, but but that we've been um, then 
human terms rather than just organizational terms. Mm, Darrell, I think that's great insight. Let's take a pause a little bit early here in the interview this morning and uh, come back in just a couple minutes because yeah. as we dig into this a little bit about discipleship, you've got this great Venn diagram that invites mm. just sort of the average believer, you know, me, you, Paul, or this, all of that, the average Talmudim into a kingdom impact that is the intersection of love and courage and wisdom all working together. More to come with Daryl Crouch here on Mornings Without Carmen. Having a delightful conversation with Daryl Crouch about discipleship, about the Talmudim this morning here on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today and the rest of this week. And Daryl, uh, Paul clued me in during the break, and you talked to me a little bit about it, that you've actually been part of recently a new venture. Just give our listeners, I know you've talked to them before, but remind them some of the shifts in your own life. Yeah, we're pretty excited about it all. And so a few years ago, we started asking different questions. Our church started asking different questions. Other churches in our community, friends of mine pastoring, uh, were asking different questions rather than just how the church is doing, how's our city doing, how's our county doing. Mm. So we live in Wilson County, so we began to to uh, dream together and pray together about what it would look like to work together for the welfare of the city. Uh, Jeremiah 29, uh, that we would plant our lives in the city, we would pursue the peace of the city, and we would uh, pray for the city. And so we we began uh, walking that out, and it just grew, and God showed favor. So I stepped out of my pastoral role at Green Hill Church in April and uh, to take on the executive director role of Everyone's Wilson, a network of gospel-loving churches and marketplace leaders and nonprofits who want to serve the welfare of every person in our county. And uh, so we focus, uh, we're moving people into pockets of vulnerability. Um, talking about discipleship, you really can't make disciples unless you're with them. Yeah. And so we just believe that humans next to other humans, humans who love Jesus and are following him next to humans who need the hope and the help of the gospel um, can change the community and really over a decade or more move the needle in a way that is transforming. And so we're trusting God for a a gospel movement, a transformation, a community transformation movement in our, in our community. And so we're excited about that. It's a lot of work, but, um, it's, um, it's a good work. And so, um, yeah, so that's mm. what we're doing. Love it, Daryl. I, and, and I appreciate just even that idea of geographical proximity is so necessary to ongoing discipleship as opposed to just having destination churches to be involved in the fabric of one another's lives on a day-in and day-out basis. It's beautiful. And, and as we're walking in these sort of discipleship ways, this isn't just an outsourced thing that the professional staff do to disciple others. You're talking about all of us are both disciples and disciple makers. And you, you have this uh, interesting Venn diagram that talks about some of what develops in the life of a disciple as they continue to follow Jesus. And that is these three words of love, courage, and wisdom. So I don't know if you want to package them all together, or if you want to sort of parse them out one by one. Yeah, we can. Um, yeah, we can, we we can just kind of walk through it. Uh, the the various aspects of them will will kind of cross over. But I think one one of the motivations for this, and I'm still making working on this. And so if somebody sees this article, they'll they'll see just a sketch that's in my journal. And so we're just uh, kind of still working through this and uh, building a framework for it. But one of the things that we've all noticed, and we've even talked about today, is that the average everyday Joe or Jill Christian. Uh, isn't really sure what disciple making looks like. And so many times we assume that it's about our personality or about our skills or about uh, something like our education, something like that. But, but um, I was just, as we look at how Christians engage other people, 
uh, love, courage, and wisdom seem to be uh, really important aspects. And as they come together, um, that seems to be the sweet spot. For example, love without courage means that love is not delivered. Uh, love is only sentimental love. And uh, without wisdom, it's not delivered very well. It's delivered based on my own self-preference or uh, my own self-determination or whatever it is. And so uh, love alone is not enough. And then courage, uh, there's a lot of people who are speaking really loudly in our culture today and um, really, um, you know, uh, being very aggressive and and uh, courageous, it looks courageous because they're very loud, but they don't have love, and uh, they're not informed by the life of Christ in them, and so that's going to be misdirected, and that's going to come off abrasive and harsh. And uh, then wisdom, sometimes we uh, assume that wisdom is some sort of intellectual acumen, uh, and certainly that's helpful, but wisdom is Jesus. He is our wisdom, and so our life in Christ informs how we uh, love one another and how we serve one another with courage. And so we just uh, presented that in a way that, and are still working through it, but presented that in a way that acknowledges these uh, very important aspects of our life in Christ. Yeah. But that um, the one one's not above the other, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, for, and they do kind of all work together. They do inform one another. I think that's a really interesting way to, to sketch that out. And again, just quickly, Daryl, if listeners want to see your sort of napkin sketch here, where can they go to, to see what you're yeah. thinking through kind of on a rough draft basis right now? Yeah, I'm at Substack, just trying to produce some uh, helpful things there. So DarylCrouch.substack.com. It's great stuff. In terms of how you grow into these different characteristics, uh, there's not like a simple one, two, three methodology that helps us grow as a disciple, as the Talmudim. It, it, it is something that is mysterious and real all at the same time as we interact with, with God through his spirit. But do you have some suggestions for people that are saying, hey, I really would love to grow in these areas because we, we can try to act loving or we can try to think about what a wise person might do or we can try to act courageous but when those characters are being birthed on the inside of who we are, they, they begin to sort of naturally but supernaturally come out of us into the world around us. Are there, are there things people can do to grow in these areas? Absolutely, and that's a great question, Peter. I, I think we, um, we assume that just consuming more content will help us, and that will. I mean, there's great content out there, but um, at the end of the day, it is our life in Christ that forms us. And so daily opening our Bible, um, regularly being in community with other believers, uh, regularly stepping into the margins of our community and talking and, and relating to people who are broken and uh, disheartened and uh, walking through that. And where we're um, sharing the gospel, inviting them into the gospel story and uh, showing them Jesus. And so apply, I would call it applied theology, that this life in Christ is being pressed out through us into the lives of other people. And so as we're with Jesus daily in his word, and then with people that he loves dearly, um, that may uh, not have come to him yet, I think all of that uh, helps shape our own hearts and um, moves us to the heart of God. And so um, th those are some just practical things that a lot of us, uh, as we're driving to church on Sunday, uh, week to week, uh, we've really not been in his word. We've really not 
been in fruitful community with others, and we've really not been applying the gospel in the margins of our community among pockets of vulnerability. And so um, uh, when we see the gospel uh, take hold of a person's heart, uh, it changes ours. Yeah, I think that's so well said, Daryl. I think it's it's one of those things that I, I can't imagine being an apprentice or a disciple of some aspect of my life and then only engaging in that aspect every, oh, I don't know, uh, three, five, seven days or something like that. I really am compelled when I see the visual of this TV show, The Chosen, that you see these disciples mm-hmm. spending day in and day out with Jesus. I mean, and, and yet mm-hmm. the expectation was not that they were going to be perfect immediately. We grow and all of that. So thanks for the work that you're doing in helping us grow as disciples. I, I can't think of any more important work into the reformation of the church into the future mm. than the disciples becoming the disciples of Jesus, not just uh, subcontracted pastors, but all of us together in this whole thing. So thanks for your insight, Daryl. I love it, Peter. Thanks for all you're doing. Yep. Have a great rest of the morning. When we come back, we'll do some bottom of the hour news and preview what's coming up next in the second half of this hour on the 9th of June on Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Boy, I love that conversation with Daryl Crouch. He's just, uh, it's, it's such a faithful witness and so fortunate that we are to have him on the morning show every couple of weeks like this. And I was really moved by that idea of the fact that he is ministering with other leaders in the city itself, that they're really focusing on geographical proximity moving forward. I think, Paul, sometimes we, for a while, we built sort of these destination model churches mm-hmm. and kind of marketed these churches and people came from all over the place. I remember as a part of a large church where you probably could put put pins on a map somewhere and right. maybe... A believer from this neck of the woods versus this neck of the woods, it would have taken him three hours to drive mm-hmm. just to just to hang out together, right? And so to be together in geographical proximity is a big right. deal. Right, the, the whole idea of proximity. I mean, I remember the line. I've heard it so many times. A church that's alive is worth the drive. Oh, I What's saw the, the billboard. I yes. know exactly what you're talking like, about. Wait yes. A no, you are the church. Your community needs you. Yeah. They need to feel God's love in both the practical, tangible ways, and also from there express the gospel of God's welcoming. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll have some more comments about that later in the program, having lived overseas about a different way of doing church along those lines. But up next is Jim Dennison, another regular contributor to the program, talks about things related to Christian worldview. And I was a little disturbed to see that one of my favorite cereal makers, that being Kellogg's, is participating in Pride Month. So I'll get his perspective here next. Stay with us. More to come. When life is spinning out of control, sometimes you wonder if God has overlooked you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Most of us would rather avoid pain than embrace it. But at the heart of every struggle, there's something we can gain. For instance, the problems you face at home right now might give you a whole new empathy for others. Maybe God's using this season to humble you. Psalms 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the paths of righteousness. Are you and your teen in a different place? Remember, in God's economy, there's always a purpose in the pain. Even in your darkest hours, He hasn't overlooked you. He's right beside you. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com.
Welcome back to the show here for the 9th of June. We are joined at this time by Jim Dennison, the founder of the Dennison Forum, and has some great commentary that's helpful for us as believers related to Christian worldview and some of the different things going on in our world and how we can respond to them. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? Glad to be on today. Yeah, doing great. It's been a, it's been a good morning already, having Daryl Crouch into the show, talking about discipleship. We've introduced the word Talmudim into the program. It's a little aggressive to, to have some original <laughs> languages into the show this early in the morning, but Talmudim <laughs> means to be the disciples, and it's delightful to be part of the disciples this morning. So you've you got some great articles to talk through here, and one of them was uh, perhaps troubling to me because it, it made my heart hurt for my childhood, and that's that Kellogg's cereal is rallying around Pride Month at this point. And this is Tony the Tiger. This is Apple Jacks. This is the cereal of my youth. I'm sure I shouldn't have been eating it from a health standpoint, but I certainly did. So tell us about what's going on here, Jim. Yeah, I share your grief. Absolutely. For me, my kids, even my grandkids, because, yeah, that was absolutely my childhood as well. Tony the Tiger, Frosted Flakes, all of that. So the background story is that Kellogg's, that makes all of that, made an announcement recently describing their latest collaboration with GLAD. They say they unwrap why boxes are for cereal, not for people. The statement includes the assertion, no matter who you are, who you love, or what pronouns you use, you're too awesome to fit into a box. It's an example of what's happening in Pride Month and the way actually children are especially being targeted. Yeah, and what a statement I thought about that this morning when I was reading through this, that you're too awesome to fit into a box. But but what's self-defeating about that statement, Jim, is that if everybody is too awesome to fit into a box, then there isn't any longer such thing as a box, right? I mean, it's amazing what we're inviting people into in terms of how we think about our life and this sort of celebration of you do whatever you want to do. It, it seems very Romans 1, Tower of Babel, like that kind of mentality to me. Yeah, it does to me as well. It goes back to the 60s when we gave up on truth. It's called postmodernism, the idea that truth is personal, individual, and subjective. There's a whole philosophy movement behind that going back to Kant. But nonetheless, we now have this idea. We're convinced 93% of Americans say they are their own sole determiner of moral truth. Tolerance is what matters most. Well, that's fine until you're intolerant. That's fine until your truth bumps up against my truth. When you're wanting to indoctrinate my kids with an ideology with which I disagree, now I'm dangerous. Now I'm uh, homophobic. Now I'm bigoted and prejudiced and all the rest, which is where Christians find themselves today. Yeah, you went on in this, in terms of working through this article, talking a bit about not just in our, our cereals and in our companies that, that make these kinds of products, but it certainly is becoming more and more pervasive in our children's programming. I've got five kids, Jim. I'm glad that at this point in time, my youngest is now at the age of 11. And so I, I think it would be incredibly tricky as a parent or a grandparent to help shepherd our kids three, four, five, six years old when what, what used to be simple programming that might have been enjoyable to watch is now has an agenda behind it. So tell us a little bit about Rugrats and kind of what we're seeing, maybe even Disney, all of this that's moving forward. Yeah, you bet. So you're familiar with the children's cartoon Rugrats. Of course, it's being relaunched. This time, Betty, who's the mother of two of the main characters, is going to be portrayed as a lesbian single mother. Well, not to be outdone, Nickelodeon's released a video by its kids' program, Blues, Clues, and You, taking place at a pride parade Mm. narrated by an animated version of a drag performer and activist named Nina West. It includes families with two moms, two dads, trans-identified members, ace, bi, and pan parents. One of the characters even displays scars from surgery used to change its gender from female to male, while the narrator sings, love is love is love, you see, and everybody should love proudly. Another example of how children are being targeted today. 
Yeah, and finally, we move into the realm of sports, which also, for many people, has a pretty significant influence in their lives. And I noted as well that the San Francisco Giants went ahead and put some patches on their uniforms. That was in celebration of Pride Month as well. So this is another sort of leg on this stool where we're seeing it kind of everywhere. Yeah, we really are. I'm kind of mad at the Giants today anyway because they beat my <laughs> Texas Rangers last night. <laughs> they did. They had a nice we comeback last night. We were out 4-2, and then the bullpen imploded, as it typically tends to do. But nonetheless, uh, yeah, it was last Saturday. They put a SF logo with colors depicting the Progress Pride flag, and they had, as you said, patches on the right jersey as well. The first Major League Baseball team to play in Pride uniforms, but I doubt they'll be the last. Yeah, and as we pull this together then, Jim, there's the statement in, in the article about indoctrinating our children. And I this even is about discipling our children in a lot of different ways, right? In terms of that, what we take in day in and day out, it disciples us. And I, I'm mindful of a quote that I heard from theologian Dallas Willard when he said, you know, it's not a question of whether we are going to be formed. It's only a question by what we will be formed. And so when you have the strength uh, of the entertainment industry, the sports industry, the private enterprise all coming together, it really does indoctrinate or disciple our culture in a certain kind of way. It does. That's very intentional. It's been a strategy that's been going on for decades to normalize LGBTQ behavior, then to legalize and now to stigmatize those with those who might disagree. And so you're exactly right. Parents more than ever before are responsible, as the scripture says, to be discipling our children really from the time that they're born. I have a good friend. He's a counselor, psychologist who plays a game with his kids that I highly recommend. It's called Spot the Lie. So when they're watching TV or a movie or whatever the game is to be the first child to spot the lie that's being portrayed in the narrative of the TV or the movie or whatnot. It's not that we want our kids to be paranoid necessarily, but we certainly don't want to take for granted that we can sit them in front of the TV, that we can let the TV be their babysitter, that we can let Hollywood teach our kids a worldview. It's on us now more than perhaps ever before. Yeah, I think it's one of the great tasks of the church, the people of God, the community. I'm not talking about institutions with signs and steeples and programs and websites, although that might be an expression of the church. But I think it's really incumbent upon us, Jim, as the church, to, to look towards that next generation and to do the Deuteronomy 6 kind of thing, to teach our children the, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. And that is really hard to do if they're living in this, this constant tug of war uh, of maybe messages that parents and grandparents in the community of faith are trying to provide related to the kingdom, and yet they're being exposed all day long to these other things that, quite frankly, are incredibly well-written, typically speaking, and they're incredibly well thought out in terms of how they're going to give the message of LGBTQ. And so it is really going to impact them. It's incredibly tricky to shepherd our kids into the future, but that seems like one of the biggest tasks for the church moving forward. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the good news is the darker the room, the more positive the light, Mm. the more obvious, the more powerful the light. And another thing that encourages me is to believe we're really right back where we started. We could be having this conversation 20 centuries ago if the technology allowed for us to do that, (laughs) wouldn't we? As the culture around us was just as pervasive, just as anti-Christian, in many ways more persecuting than we're facing even today. And so back in the early days, the Christians had to do exactly what we're describing now, and they pulled it off. In fact, by Acts 17, they had turned the world upside down. They became the most powerful spiritual movement in human history. All that to say the Holy Spirit will help us do that. We're not on our own here as parents or grandparents. If every day we'll say, Lord, help me to parent and grandparent and disciple my children, give me discernment and wisdom and courage and grace and compassion, he will answer that prayer. He will use us as a means to that end.
Oh, I love it. It's so helpful. Jim, why don't we take just a short break here and come back and continue the conversation. We'll switch it a little bit into some interesting headlines out of the world of tennis with Naomi Osaka and, and some of what we saw at the French Open, as well as the power of community there. And I have an intriguing headline. A woman donates kidneys to an ex-husband. And I can't wait to get your take on that here next on Mornings Without Carmen. It's about 14 minutes before the top of the hour, having an engaging conversation with Dr. Jim Dennison about Christian worldview and, and intersecting some of that worldview with the headlines of the day. And Jim, I follow tennis a little bit here and there. Certainly, I was a big follower of tennis back in the days of McEnroe and Borg and Navratilova and Chris Yarver Jr. Uh, but even today, it still is pretty exciting. And some pretty interesting developments from Naomi Osaka, a tennis champion, that she would not speak to reporters. And then we saw Dak Prescott get involved. Kind of talk us through what's going on here and what you see in these headlines. Yeah, I'm a tennis fan as well. Wanted to play tennis for a living back when reality didn't matter very much. And, uh, you know, playing with wooden rackets and cat gut and all that. But now I'm dating myself. So nonetheless, been a huge tennis fan over the years and a huge Naomi Osaka fan. I'm just intrigued with her game, the way that she plays, the way she goes about it, her dignity on the court. A few years ago when she was playing Serena and how all of that turned out. Well, as we all know, she announced recently that she would not speak with reporters during the French Open, one of the four majors for those that aren't tennis fans, one of the four most significant tournaments of the year. The organizers fined her $15,000 for a decision, so then she withdrew from the tournament, citing mental health reasons. She's ranked number two in the world. She said on Twitter, I never wanted to be a distraction. She added that she's suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018 Mm. and gets huge waves of anxiety before speaking at press conferences. Well, a number of athletes came out in her support, which I thought was terrific. Martina Navratilova, Serena Williams, Billie Jean King have all voiced their support. And then Dak Prescott, Cowboys quarterback near and dear to my heart down here in Dallas, made a statement regarding anxiety and depression as well. Said that he went through depression and anxiety during the pandemic and had to learn what it was, talk to friends. His his brother, Jace, actually died recently. And through all of that experience, he said he learned that we really have to talk, he said. It's an obligation to walk all of us to listen and to help, which is a cry for community that the gospel answers. I think that cry for community that you just referenced there, Jim, is is so important moving forward. I think of sometimes teaching back, and it was about 2006, I want to say. I'd been teaching for several years at a, a Christian university, and prior to 2006-ish, I might have had one student out of 100 that semester that would have needed some sort of accommodation saying, you know, Professor Kapsner, I, uh, I struggle with a bit of anxiety, depression, just need a little help maybe making it through the semester. Not a big deal. And Jim, in 2006, those numbers went through the roof. It was fully half, if not more. And sometimes I even survey my young people. And these are some of the best and the brightest of evangelicalism today. I'll survey them in a classroom, 30 students or so, to say, how many of you feel isolated, fragmented, depressed, anxious, concerned, uh, don't really know who you belong to, don't know where you fit? And fully, I would say 90% of the hands uh, will go up in the air. And this really is an epidemic we're talking about where social media and a lot of the other fragmentation that's happened over these last 15 years, it, it is an epidemic of anxiety and, and isolation and a lack of community. 
It absolutely is. I'm seeing it as well. I've been a pastor for nearly 40 years, and across that life, that has absolutely been my experience as well. And it's so countercultural at a time when we've been more prosperous than ever before. Obviously, the pandemic would be a counter to that. But across the decades, we certainly have risen on every appreciable level relative to gross uh, domestic product and income and all of that. But it's exactly what you said. Social media, rather than bringing us together, isolates us. Now, younger people especially are evaluated by likes and follows and shares. And it's all about who I project myself to be. We have this idealized self, as the psychologist self, say that we want you to believe we are, but we know we're really not that. So there's this disconnect. There's this discord and dissonance within us. And the longer we live with that, the more difficult and painful and even disabling it becomes. The good news is that God knows us as we are and loves us as we are and invites us into community with fellow believers who are all loved equally. Mm. That dissonance you just referenced too, Jim, I think that can be an indicator for us if we're willing to pay attention to it. I think often that if Satan was the father of lies and he is described as such, it would mean that the very nature of a lie is something that if it's effective, you don't actually know what's happening because you, you have been deceived. And, and I think there's such deceit going on that if we can just get our name known in social media or if we can just build some sort of ministry that, that gets a following and a website and all of that, or if young people just have enough likes and enough clicks on their Instagram feed, that they will find wholeness. And yet there's this dissonance that happens that every step we take in that direction seems to lead to greater pain, sorrow, misery, and turmoil. And I think that's where we can say, I wonder if there's a great deceit going on here that we're walking in, because deceit, again, would sound like it's the truth and it's actually not. To spot it requires looking at that dissonance inside. Absolutely does. In fact, as you say, the most effective lies are the ones that most clearly communicate themselves to be the truth. And then the other lie on top of that is that, well, it's not working now, but it's because I'm not trying hard enough. Yeah, yes. It's because I haven't climbed the ladder even high enough, <laughs> leaning against the wrong wall the whole time. But nonetheless, the secret is to get up earlier, stay up later, try harder, work longer. And so it's almost a cancer that we keep feeding in the belief that feeding the cancer is killing the cancer when it's actually the opposite. I heard a story yesterday. I don't know if this is true. It sounds a little apocryphal, but there's a story about a young man that raised a hippo, I think it was in Africa, from the time it was a baby. Raised it for years as a pet hippo. The other day, he was playing with it, and it killed him. Mm. At the end of the day, whether that's true or not, it's actually a parable, isn't it? That if you play with sin at the end of the day, you lose. I heard a pastor say once, sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. And if you think that doesn't apply to you, you're being deceived right now. Yeah, how to say that one more time, Jim. That was really helpful. Help me as well. Sin will always take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay right, every it, time. That's a great phrase. You, you actually had me at raising a hippo. I was intrigued for a moment there, but I think you're right. I think, I think that's not going to end well at the end of the day. Say we've got one more headline I want to kind of talk through with you. It was pretty intriguing about uh, a woman who gave her or donated her kidneys to her ex-husband. Tell us what happened here. Yeah, so this is kind of a crazy story. It's one of these things that you can't believe is true until you check it out. So there's a person named Nebby, uh, Debbie Neal Strickland. She recently married her longtime sweetheart, Jim Murtha, at their Florida church. Two days later, she donated a kidney to Jim's first wife, Mylene. So Jim and Mylene had been divorced for nearly two decades. They'd gotten along well, raised two children. Mylene had struggled with kidney disease. She was really, really doing very poorly in recent months and years. So Debbie Neil Strickland had lost a brother to cystic fibrosis who was awaiting a double lung transplant. She said when someone needs an organ, if they don't get it, they're probably not going to make it. I know it's something that you do quickly. So she volunteered to be a donor for Mylene. 
She passed the matches for blood and tissue, all the complex testing, all the stuff that went into that. The way it worked out because of COVID delays, the transplant was set for two days after her wedding. They married on November 22nd. Two days later, she donated a kidney to her new husband's ex-wife. And part of the story that's so cool is they now call themselves Kidney Sisters. They pray for each other. They're planning a big family trip this summer. This is what the world is about, Mylene said. Family, we need to stick together. She saved my life. It's a great story and a great parable as well. Oh, it is a great story. When you look back at the last 50 or 60 years at the sociological sea change we've experienced related to marriage and sexuality and, and so many different levels that it's probably going to take a generation or two of the people of God to walk forward and, and, and show and shine a light of wholeness into that. And so in the fracturing of the families that's been so part of this in the last 50 years, this is maybe one story that it's not going to bring that family back to complete wholeness, but it's at least a step in that direction that we can begin to shine a little bit differently in this. It is, and what it communicates to the children and the grandchildren and to all of us that see it is really, really profound. And it also made a point to me as I was reading the story, you cannot measure the eternal significance of present faithfulness. Mm. When she did this, she had no idea you'd not be talking about her on radio right now. No idea that I would write about her in an article that goes out to, well, 2.2 million in total audience, that she just had no idea that we would be having this discussion and other people would be impressed by her sacrifice. She just chose to do the right thing, and the consequences were far greater than she could imagine. Years ago, I saw an Alfred North Whitehead, a statement, the great people plant trees they'll never sit under. I wrote that down. I really like that. Great people plant trees they'll never sit under. So if you and I will be faithful today, God will use our faithfulness in ways we could never imagine. And Jim, that's a whopper. You've had a number of phrases this morning that I'm going to take home with me, that idea about sitting under a tree. Say that again one more time, repeat it for me. I'm a little yeah. slow this morning, apparently. Oh, no. <laughs> it's early for me as well. Great people plant trees they'll never sit under. That's a great phrase when you think about what it means to leave something behind and not trying to squeeze your own sense of significance and your own sense of well-being out of what you do in this world. To be thinking in terms of future is one of the great postures, I would say, of the believer in terms of laying a foundation for those who are to come. Jim, you do such a great job just talking us through so many of these different headlines, the intersection of culture and our faith. If listeners want to find some of your work, where can they go? Thank you. Denisonforum.org, D-E-N-I-S-O-N forum.org. I write an article every morning based on that day's news. We've been discussing some of them recently. Also, white papers, books, podcasts, videos, all of that's available at the website. We're a donor-based ministry, so we can give all our digital content away. And so folk can go there and read it, subscribe to the article if they wish, and find the rest of our content as well. Love it, Jim. Thanks so much. Looking forward to our next conversation. Have a good rest of the morning. God bless. Take a short break and wrap up the first hour of the show. Preview what's coming up next on hour two here on the 9th of June on Mornings Without Carmen. I am Peter Kapsner filling in for today. Boy, Paul, that Jim Dennison, he covers a lot of ground <laughs> in very quick fashion with amazing things that he's just sort of these nuggets that he just drops in in the middle of it. You got to listen quickly with him. I mean, <laughs> you do have to. I thought I talked fast and, and, and he, Jim, has, yeah. he's got me beat. And yet it's incredible wisdom through some of those things that he was saying. I just I, I'm still a little disturbed by the Kellogg cereal thing. It just yeah. it's hard for me when these historic things and even Blue's Clues was mm-hmm. such an important show for my kids growing up in the yeah. sense that it was this safe, fun funny kind of show. We, we had a good time watching as a family, and now, like so many others, it's going a different direction. And the way it's celebrating it and indoctrinating kids, that, you know, my kids are older, yeah. but still it's like 
they're going after little kids like that. Not good. Yeah, it's not good. And, and indoctrination is, I think, an appropriate word. It's just another sort of version or splinter or, or synonym for the idea of discipleship. I mean, when you're being discipled, the, you are going to be formed in how you think. Your character is going to be formed. The, the How you walk in and perceive yourself in the world is going to be formed. And these things form us. The, these sports activities, these TV shows, these uh, businesses that promote certain kinds of things, they do form us. We'll talk a little bit more about that next at the top of the hour. And then we'll be joined by John Brandon, who will get us into some of the social media updates in that world today. Stay with us. The second hour is coming up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.